0: Welcome to Practical Forms of Self-Love with Jesh DeRox, a mini-series focusing on 10 essential perspectives and practices to embody self-love. Here's Josh This is day four of a 10-day little uh, series that I'm doing on practical forms of self-love love. We've got, you know, this whole concept of self-love, which has become much more popular lately. Thank God. And I just wanted to dig in a little bit to it and share experiences that I've had, stories that I've had. I live a pretty weird kind of life. It's, it's kind of awesomely weird, to be honest with you. <laughs> I wouldn't trade it for any other life I've ever met and I get to spend a lot of my time in deep conversations with incredible people from all around the planet, uh, people who have lived and experienced and learned and loved and lost and lived wild, beautiful lives. And the conversations and the friendships, and the relationships that I've had with those people have changed me and, and encouraged my own wildness and helped me to make decisions that aren't perfect by any means but on the whole are a lot more adventurous and wild you know than most people's decisions and my entire life is basically just dedicated to exploring and diving as deeply as I can into what the human experience is and going as far out you know into the wildernesses of the emotional landscape and the relational landscape and particularly inside as I possibly can and then coming back and sharing as much as I can with with everybody else. So my hope is that you will benefit from a few of these concepts and ideas that I'm gonna be sharing, a few of the stories. My hope is also that you will uh, laugh a little bit at me or with me, I don't really care. I just, this is my life and I love giving it, I love spending it in a way that I think maybe could lift up a few people for just a moment even. That's good enough for me. It doesn't have to be some grand revelation. It doesn't have to be mind-blowing, but if you smile a few times over the next 10, 15 minutes, that's enough for me. Worst case scenario and best case scenario, um, maybe the rest of your day or night goes a little bit differently. I would love that. I would super love that. And maybe tomorrow goes even more differently than that. Today, what I wanna do, day four, is I wanna talk about something called leave room for the X." So, of course, in an algebra equation, there's this x, and it represents the unknown, and you don't know what it is. It could be a 5, it could be a 3, it could be a 27, it could be a whole other equation. We don't know what it is, but algebra is basically about solving for the x. And in my experience, life is much more like an algebra equation than it is any simple forms of math, whether it's addition or subtraction or, or you know, multiplying or division or <laughs> Whatever, uh, it's much more like an algebraic equation. And so leaving room for the X, I think is a super, super, super important part of being a good human, especially if you want to be artistic, especially if you want to be creative, especially if you want to live the kind of a life that nobody else has lived. I've been playing a game with myself recently that I think I've mentioned here a couple times before, where it's kind of I've kind of been imagining like what would I want written on my tombstone? I'm dead and gone, and all that's left is a tombstone. It's like your rocks from such and such to such and such. Uh, there's one line you've got. What do you What do you want it to say? And the best one that I've come up with so far for me is, well, that was unexpected. <laughs> I would super love that if that's what was written on my tombstone. Well, that was unexpected. And I think that's just kind of very indicative of the way that I live my life. My life is, weird and i love that my life is weird i don't want to live some normal ass life people been there done that a million times i i want my life to be different uh one of my favorite posters i've ever seen in my entire life i saw when i was like 10 years old it was clearly very formative to me since i've told this story so many times but it was it really did enchant me, honestly, and it was of a kitten. It was a big fluffy white kitten, one of those almost princess kittens or something like that, but it was on a, on a toilet. It had big blue eyes, soft white fur, pink little nose, but it was sitting on a toilet seat, and it was reaching its cute fluffy little paw down into the toilet, and the words on the poster said, If we do not find uh, something pleasant, at least we will find something interesting. And uh, I think, to me, that curiosity that cats display, kittens especially, that curiosity that the youngest versions of ourselves as humans display is directly related to an incredible amount of joy You know that both kittens feel and little babies feel. And that playfulness and that curiosity that we have when we're young as animals, it, it makes us more connective with other people. It makes us learn at an incredibly higher rate. It makes us have a lot more fun while we're doing that. It makes us make friends easier. You know, there's a huge long list of benefits of, of curiosity, practical curiosity, applied curiosity, day in and day out, to almost everything. The only time when a very young kid or a kitten is not super interested in something is if they're just dead tired. Or they're super hungry or something like that. As long as those two things are taken care of, you could put a paper clip in front of them and they're like, oh my God, what is this incredible thing? You could put a computer in front of them. Oh my God, what is this incredible thing? You could put a $10,000 bill in front of them and a one penny and it's it's a toss-up which one they'll value more. So that curiosity is something that I think we write off a lot of the time as that's not that big of a deal. It's just something kids do, et cetera, et cetera. I've got to do this and this and this and this and this. And uh, that is not leaving room for the X. And of course, the entire subject of what I'm going to talk about today as a form of practical self-love. So we've got this curiosity I'm gonna throw in and say, it's not a small deal, it's actually a huge deal. We've been talking about over the last three days how one of the major themes of all of this stuff is that humans are very, very small creatures in terms of how huge the world is, especially in terms of how huge the universe is. And so sometimes when we compare ourselves against the vastness, the incredible vastness of the universe, We can feel daunted, we can feel too small, we can feel powerless, and we can really forget that while we may be small uh, in one moment, as the singer Jewel says, you know, her hands are small, she can only hold so much, Uh, what humans often discount is just how much the hands can hold over a long period of time. There's some Guinness Book of World Records or something about this guy who has the Guinness Book of World Records for eating the most cars. Yes, you heard me right. There is a Guinness Book of World Record for the person who has eaten the most vehicles, cars. I don't know what it was. It's ridiculous. It's like three or seven or some stupid shit like that. But basically, how does a person eat a car? Certainly not all in one bite. That's for damn sure. What they do is they grind it up and then they slowly put it inside of their food. And over, you know, years of time, or whatever, they eat cars. So if a person can freaking eat cars over a long period of time, by God, we can do great things. You know, if we put them in small little chunks and then we repeat them over time so curiosity is kind of like that all of these topics i'm talking about are are like that in small little doses you would be shocked by how much you would actually be capable of and curiosity is a similar kind of thing so as i said big 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 you know benefits for curiosity why do we put it aside curiosity is the x it is the interest in the x. It is the looking into the unknown. It's the fascination with the unknown. It's the wonder. Why do we put aside the algebra equations that we're interested in as children and as kittens? Uh, Why do we put those aside for a plus b equals c, the more straightforward stuff? I want to dig just a little bit into that today. I think one thing we could say about that, why, why we set aside that x, is because A lot of us are looking for reward. We're looking for immediate reward, or at least as immediate as possible. And certainly a lot of the culture and the stories we tell ourselves, which I went into quite deeply in the talk about honoring the in-between moments, is we want the payoff, you know? We want the Grammy Award. I don't really want to sit down and, you know, write songs by myself in a dark room for 10 years, but I do want a Grammy Award. Is there any way for me to just skip straight to the Grammy? And it's like, no, you can't talked about No Doubt and how they won Best New Artist after being, they won a Grammy (laughs) for Best New Artist after touring for eight years as Complete Unknowns, right? So that just is the story we like. We like to be able to leap to the end. And in terms of social validation, what we really like is for other people to meet us for the first time and go, oh my God, what an incredible human. I love them, I like them, I want them to be invited to every single thing that I do. That's what we want. And so because of that, and because there is a strong fear of the unknown that's just built into the animal why because the unknown could possibly kill you if we don't know that it won't kill us it might kill us and as i like to say frequently and regularly here on these kind of talks a lot of the issues we have as humans they're not our fault they're not our fault they have to do with ancient biological impulses that have evolved over millions of years they have to do with decisions our ancestors made a long time ago They are our responsibility. Yes, 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 yes. But they are not our fault. And they most certainly are not who we are. Something I really love saying, which I'll probably dig deeper in another talk I'm going to give later in the week that's going to be about self-judgment and uh, the incredible stupidity of it. (laughs) We'll dig into that later. I'm going to make you guys judge yourself for judging yourself. That's how powerful that talk is going to be. I'm going to shame you for... No, just kidding. We've got these you know this deep need for social validation we want to stay on track and we want to stay on track because it feels safer to us also because it's more likely you know that somebody else will validate us for that i was thinking so much actually earlier today about ladders and how there's this whole idea of like there's this ladder you got to climb and people talk about the business ladder and people talk about in every industry, no matter where you are, or the social ladder, you know, they're they're a social climber. There's that saying that comes from the whole idea of of ladders. And there's these different, you know, rungs and tiers that you go up and up and up. And I'm taking this course right now. It's a long story. I won't get into it, but I'm taking this course in this particular form of art. And uh, it's interesting because like, they have it all set up into these different tiers, how good you are. And you have to like, Basically, audition to get to the next level, all of it, et cetera, et cetera. And I see the people who are at the very end of this whole thing, and they are not necessarily in a position that I want to be in. And yet, just because there are these levels that I see, <laughs> you know, some part of my brain is like, must get to next level. And I think it's so funny because a lot of the culture is set up like that. You know, everybody's like, I just need more money. If I just had more money, and it's like, dude, I know people who have lots of money. And not all of them are at a place that you would want to be, okay? And people are like, if I just had a Grammy, and it's like, I know people who have Grammys, and not all of them are at places that you'd wanna be. You know, and it's like I'm looking at this course that I'm taking and I'm like, I'm at the bottom of this big ladder that I see arching out in front of me, and some part of me is like, oh my god, like I gotta I gotta do this, gotta get next room, next room, next room, next room. And the funny thing is The people on the other side of the ladder, they know the truth. What's the truth about the other side of the ladder? You get all the way up to the top of the ladder, and then what's the only thing you can do? Go down to the other side of the ladder. On the other side of the ladder is a mirror opposite of the other side of the ladder. So it's not to say there's not cool places that ladders can get you. There are. But in my experience, the best part about the ladder experience is not where you get to by climbing the ladder. That is not the thing that you get. Same thing with a mountain. You know, mountains are similar to ladders. Ladders are kind of like tiny, skinny, portable mountains. (laughs) It's probably where we got the idea. So a mountain goes up, there's a peak, a mountain goes down. You climb the mountain, you get to the top. The first thing that you realize, I wouldn't say the first thing, the second thing you realize when you get to the top of the mountain, because the first thing is, wow, this is a great view. That's cool. Second thing is probably like, I did it, amazing. Or maybe those two are switched. But definitely the third thing, (laughs) the third thing that you realize when you get up to the top of the mountain is there's not that fucking much to do up on the mountain. It's just basically you and the mountain because to be honest, not many people can fit on a mountain peak. So why do you go up to the mountain? Uh, Not to stay there, not to live there, not to build a house there. There's no fucking food up there. There's no entertainment up there. It's just you and the mountain. And is that a powerful experience? Yes, but do you go up the mountain to get to the top of the mountain? No, the reason you get to the top of the mountain is twofold. First, you have strength, you build strength. You gotta become strong to do that journey because not many people can do it. And by going through the process of climbing the mountain, you grow strong. And the cool thing is you leave that mountaintop experience, you leave it at some point, you have to, but you keep the strength, you keep the strength. And that's one of the main reasons to climb the mountain. Uh, the second main reason to climb the mountain is who you get to do it with, the people that you'll meet along the way. Because when you're, when you're chasing mountaintops, you become in a rarefied air. You become in rarefied air because most people are too scared to climb mountains. And what I've found is that in my pursuit of climbing mountains, I have met other wild, interesting, beautiful humans who have become vital to my life, vital to my heart, and you, you exchange stories, you know, you, you help each other out of jams along that path and you keep those friendships, you keep them, you keep those friendships on the other side of the mountain too. So the strength that you build, the skills that you build while climbing mountains, yes. The friendships that you build while, while you climb mountains, yes, those are the reasons to do it. So again, I went on a little bit of a tangent there, but coming back to it, we're talking today about solving for the X talking today about solving for the x (laughs) and about how babies you know and kids are are super curious and they're interested in the x they want to know they want to understand and how that leads to to joy and to connectivity and to massive amounts of learning etc and then as we get older we don't want the x anymore we just want the immediate validation and a big part of that as i was saying is because Two main reasons one we get validation from being accepted you know once we're doing the thing that everybody expects of us that's one of the big things the second thing that we get to know that we're we're in the right place we're doing the thing that we're supposed to do that's why we like those ladders we like the steps laid out for us in front of us we want to feel like we're progressing but we're progressing in a way that feels you know very very safe to us so uh i briefly mentioned this i won't go too deep into it because we don't have tons of time and this isn't the exact topic but i just want to kind of close that loop i just mentioned how that We have these evolutionary impulses going back so many millions of years to fear the unknown. So we probably did have wild ancestors who just weren't scared of anything. They just did not give a fuck about about anything, you know. And then we had ones who were super paranoid. And the fact is, at the end of the day, if we've got one super paranoid person and we've got some wild person, who's likely to live long enough to pass their seed? Not the wild person, right? So this wild, joyful, crazy, open, beautiful person uh, that we had as an ancestor, they probably passed away much sooner than the very careful, cautious, you know, etc. So evolution didn't necessarily reward you know, the wild, joyful one. They they rewarded the very cautious, you know, even overly cautious one, even at the cost of joy. We're at a different time now. We're in a different space in our life now. And so I'm going to do a whole nother talk one of these days, uh, I think one of these 10 days, about saving the fear for the bears. (laughs) We'll come to that another time. Uh, But in this talk particular, coming back to this X, an important thing about this whole X is that you're going to have to understand that if you do leave room for the X, if you do bolster up that curiosity again, it's going to alienate you. It's going to alienate you sometimes uh, from people. And that's a scary thing. And that's one of the main reasons why people don't leave room for the X anymore. They'll just go. I'm going away from that algebra stuff, I'm gonna go back to the known world, you know, A plus B equals C. I feel safe with that, and it gets me the validation that I need. So, uh, but it it is an integral part of play. Not knowing what's gonna happen is an integral part of play. And uh, if you look at what kids do and what kittens do, you see a a huge similarity in how much play is happening. That's one of the hugest things that you see. Uh, So that's really interesting to note there, and so, Of course as you get further and further from the time of a kid or kitten cats just sit around and you know lay down in the sun or whatever and adults work until the end of friday and then they lay down in the sun the the curiosity drops the x drops and one of the big reasons for that is uh, that the play stops and so if you want to be more playful in your life here's my definition of play play is exploring in a way that feels safe so, of course, the, the horrible thing about being a kitten or a baby is that uh, you're not very safe. It's like I can sit here and say, be a kitten, be a baby, you know. But the problem with those two things is they both require the supervision of, of the elder. They require the responsibility of an adult watching them. And if they, if they didn't, they, they would just die. You know, They're very weak and vulnerable uh, at, at that stage of their life. The faculty that the adult has to make good decisions is super beautiful. And what we can do is we can mix that. We can mix the faculty of the adult to make wise decisions with the playfulness, you know, that a child has. And that's where you really get an artist. What an artist basically is, is playful with their craft. They're exploring in a way that's that's responsible. And at least to some degree is safe. We have the incredible Oscar Wilde who says, only those who risk going too far... Can possibly know how far one can go. And thank God for those beautiful people. Thank God for those people at the edge. And I am such a person as that. And if you're sitting here with your precious time, you are also very likely such a person uh, or an early stage such person, which is to say that you, you want to be more of a person like that. So good for you. And it's a little bit of a, of a dangerous game, you know, that we play because. Why do we stop exploring? We're that kitten, we're the fluffy white kitten and we're we're reaching down into the toilet and we're like, what beautiful thing is in here? I'm going to find it, I'm going to discover it. And you reach down and (laughs) your paw comes up and it's covered in shit and it stinks and this is not a good experience. And then most people are just like, exploring? I'm never going to explore again. That was a terrible idea. And it's like, that is the cost. That, that definitely is the cost. Okay, it looks like we have a correction coming up here. Somebody, my friend Soraya says, uh, it's T.S. Eliot. It may be. Who knows? Did I say T.S. Eliot? I thought it was Oscar Wilde, but okay. Regimented life versus playful life. I don't like to leave things in concept. I like to use stories. I like to use analogies so that you can embody and relate with the stuff that I'm that I'm talking about. I like to think of, of life, you know, like ideal life, like beautiful life, like a good kiss, okay? So there's certain elements that make a good kiss a good kiss, as I'm sure you know. And there are elements that would make a bad kiss a bad kiss, okay? And we can be sure on a few things. One, a good kiss is probably playful, you know? It's probably passionate. It's probably explorative. A curious kiss, being present with what you're doing, those are probably all things in the good category. What if we said expected kiss? What if we said a regimented kiss? What if we said a responsible kiss? Very likely, you know, uh, <laughs> a socially accepted kiss also sounds like fucking terrible, right? All of these things, you know, that people do, a safe kiss, all of those kinds of things fall into the bad kiss category. And all of the other things I'm talking about that kittens and babies do, wild, beautiful, explorative, playful passionate, fearless, those all flow into the good kiss area. So I think for me, it's, it's a beautiful, simple metaphor that you can use in your business. You can use it in your life. You can use it, you know, with your friends. <laughs> you can use it with your minister. You can use it anywhere, wherever you want to, to varying degrees of success. Okay. But basically what I'm trying to say is in your interactions with them, write some of the list down of the way that you're interacting and then say, would this fall into a good kiss or a bad kiss kind of a category? Because what you really want is, is you want a life that, that's gonna feel like a good kiss, you know, I, I'm sure. I, I certainly do. And could you imagine a regimented kiss, a responsible, safe kiss, an expected and completely understood kiss, A part of the beauty of falling in love, a part of the beauty of kissing, a part of the beauty of making love is you don't know what's going to happen next. And that's one of the reasons why people like doing that with new people. Because once you kind of figure out what somebody's doing, it's like, oh, yeah, he's putting in the tongue. This is yep, right on schedule, Larry. At 3.30 minutes in, every single time you slip in the tongue. Uh, it kind of gets boring. So I'm not saying you have to switch out you know, a partner to get to that new magic. I can say, get curious with your partner. Life should be like a good kiss, okay? So we've got this regimented life versus this playful life, okay? And even like this talk right now, right? This is a super serious talk about self-love. And when I see people be super serious all of the time about important subjects... It makes me throw up in my mouth a little bit, okay? And the reason for that is life is supposed to be fun. Life is supposed to be fun. Life is supposed to be fun. One of my favorite quotes I've ever heard was from a brilliant philosopher named Spinoza. And he said, the more joy we have, the more nearly perfect we are. There's all of these pictures of Jesus. He's going like this. And I I just don't buy it. It's like, I'm sure he looked like that some moments because he went through some pretty fucking hard shit. But I think most of the time he was laughing his ass off because when you live freely in the way that from all the stories that we have about him, he was a free character. He was a wild character. He was an Oscar Wilde or T.S. Eliot, depending upon your particular version of history. Uh, He was that kind of a person, you know, who's going to the edge just to see how far you could go. When you live a life like that, you have joy, and not all of the time maybe, but a heck load of a lot more, a heck load of a lot more, okay? So we want our life to feel more like a good kiss. Here's another problem with, with the regimentation, okay? Versus, versus the playfulness. If you were to ask me, Jesh, I'm gonna give you a very special opportunity, okay? And I'm gonna put 10 experiences up on this wall. And they're all horrible, awful, difficult experiences, okay? They're gonna break your heart in 9,000 ways. And over here on this wall, we've got 10 beautiful experiences full of back rubs and cute little kittens and incredible making love experiences with socks and, you know, all the things that I love, obviously. Which of these two will you choose from? Which one do you think I'm going to pick, guys? Which one? I'm not going to pick any of the dark, awful, horrible experiences. (laughs) And yet, and yet, if you ask me a different question and you say, Jesh, I want you to think of the 10 hardest things that you've ever gone through. And I'm like, okay. And then you say, if I give you a choice right now, would you switch them out for 10, you know, fun, light, happy, beautiful experiences? I would say, F, no, there's no way you could pay me to switch out those experiences because from the other side of those experiences, I see how I changed. I see how I learned. I see how I grew. You couldn't pay me to take those away. And so you understand that there is a bias, there is an error in the way that we try to make decisions a lot of the time, because when we're not leaving room for the X, which is the subject of this entire talk, leaving room for the X as a form of practical self-love, when we're not doing that, what happens is that we make decisions based on things that we think are going to be good, that we think are going to be healthy, that we think are going to be helpful to us. But where does that idea come from? It only comes from the past. It only comes from the past. We're like, oh, this looks good, why? Because we've had that before and we already know what it gave to us and we want that same thing again. And while there's a certain amount of benefit in that, no question, when we just keep doing that same thing again and again and again and again, things get repetitive. When you first met Larry, you guys were wild about each other. You know, you were licking each other's entire faces all day. Then three years in, five years in, seven years in, eh, I know what that's like. I've been there, done that. People stop playing. That's why they fall out of love. I'm just going to say that again because it's really freaking true. People stop playing with each other. That's why they fall out of love. People stop leaving room for the ex and the other person. You think you know your partner? You don't know your partner. Your partner doesn't even know your partner. How can you possibly know your partner? Do you know things about your partner? Yes. Do you know lots of equations of your partner? Yes. Are you leaving room for the X of your partner? If you're like a normal human, the answer is probably not very much room. And to be able to go back to that person tonight, you know, tomorrow, and just look them in the eye and not know who they are. Whoa, whoa. It's one of the most powerful things you could possibly do for them. And if you don't have a partner, go up to your mirror. Or if you do have a partner also, look at that person in the eye and say, I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are. I know some things about you, but I certainly don't know the totality. I just can't possibly know the totality of it. That's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing to be able to give that X. And so how is leaving room for the X about practical self-love, which is what this whole theme of this 10-day series I'm doing is. When you're leaving room for the X, you open yourself up to new experiences. You open yourself up to deeper experiences. If you've got an X in the relationship, that relationship will last a long, 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 long time. Because it means there's a room and a space to keep exploring, to keep playing with each other, to keep deepening you know, the bond between you. And just like I've been saying this entire time, that X, that playfulness, that curiosity that kittens and children have is directly related to the amount of joy they have. It's directly related. It's directly related to the amount of learning that they have. So when you are leaving room for that X in your life, when you're leaving room for that curiosity in your life, that is a form of self-love. That is a form of self-care that is not replaceable by any other thing. Okay, nearing the end here. Yeah, so there's 10 experiences up on a wall. I mean, our brain thinks it knows. It's like, John, you should not be like this. Mary, you need to be more like this. Most of the time when our brain is saying that shit, it's just talking about the past. And guess what? I came from the past, girl. I came from the past. I don't need to go back to the past. I need to go to the future. And the future is filled with the X. The future is filled with the thing that, that I don't know. There's this saying, nothing is new under the sun. Nothing is new under the sun. And my dear mentor, an amazing writer named Jerry, you know, one of my favorite sayings of his, having heard that scripture and having read that that saying so many times, he says, that just means that all the new stuff is above the sun. Ugh, ugh, ugh. And thank God for what a brilliant, brilliant mind, what a brilliant soul, you know, to remind us that There's nothing new under the sun, one man says. Another man says, that's because everything new is above the sun. And what is he talking about? What he's talking about is basically just history tends to repeat itself. It just does because people make similar decisions and they have similar feelings and they're scared of the X. So they just do the same thing again and again. It gets boring, it gets repetitive, you know, blah, 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 blah. Introducing that X is like reaching up to heaven, you know, above the sun and pulling that down and bringing that energy down here three last things i'll say okay so the first thing is maps one of my favorite writers in a super long time is named Yuval Harari wrote this mind-blowing book called sapiens i would highly recommend it Yuval Harari sapiens highly recommend it one of the best books i've ever read and one of the most beautiful little nuggets of wisdom that he gave in that book is he talked about how the reason why one of the main reasons why it was the europeans who ended up conquering so much of the world over the last you know a few hundred years when there was much larger, much better prepared, much better equipped, much older civilizations, such as the Chinese Empire, such as, you know, the Ottoman Empire, the Persian Empire, you know, to to be able to do those things, basically unfinished maps, unfinished maps, or maps that had space in them. So he, he said a lot of the other empires, they would create the map of the world, and the entire map of the world was completely filled with that country or with that kingdom, and on the outside was always written nothing. There was just, there was nothing there. So they did it right to the edges. And sometime around, you know, the early 1400s or something or mid 1400s, some incredible map maker in Europe created this map. It actually, it might have been after Columbus. So it might have been, you know, later in uh, whatever, some, somewhere around that time. He created this map where the part of the world that they knew was small. And the vast majority of the map was just empty. It was just empty space. It's so brilliant and so beautiful when you really think about how powerful that is because the map maker left room for the X. And if a person looks at a map and all they see is everything they know and there's just nothing else besides that, curiosity dies, you know? If you look at a map and there's a tiny piece that you know and everything else is uncharted and says the unknown wilds, the lands of mystery, the lands of beauty, everything that I haven't learned yet that I someday will, (laughs) That instead invites curiosity. And that's exactly what happened in Europe. We can't say, of course, that was all benign because a lot of the curiosity was about how rich can I get from enslaving other people. That's a whole nother kind of dark version of it. But there is a beautiful element in there. How do I know that? Uh, Because we're here right now and we're using technology that was built because of the good side of some of those decisions that got made so long ago. So mixed bag, as always with humans, but unfinished maps empty maps maps with empty spaces in them if you can take the map that you have of your partner and instead of having it so full with i know everything about them if you can squeeze that down and say i know this much about you but what's left uncharted what's left uncharted and how do do i know there's stuff left uncharted because if you guys break up and somebody else comes to meet them they will find new places they will find new places sure they'll probably find some of the same places too but they'll also find new places so they're there to be found can you be an explorer that's the interesting question and then even more importantly than with your partner, even more importantly than with your kids, even more importantly, you know, than with your parents. Can you do that for yourself? One of the biggest benefits that I've had from living this wild, crazy life that I've lived, you guys, is that I put myself in so many different experiences. I've met a hundred different versions of myself, a thousand different versions of myself. And what you'll find is when you go into new situations you've never been in before, you'll find new pieces. You will. You'll find new pieces. And It's a gift to yourself, such a gift, such a way of self-love to leave room for the ex. People are like, do you know who you are? And I'm like, no, I don't know who I am and I don't wanna know who I am. At least not with any kind of a finality. People in the art world a lot, you know, I've taught art for many years. I've taught creativity for many years. I used to be primarily a photographer and I've kind of moved beyond that at this point and do a lot of different things. But when I used to only teach photography, you know, people would always ask me about my style because I became pretty well-known a while back, you know, for the particular style that I had developed. And people said, how do you make a style? What is a style? Et cetera, et cetera. And to me, I always thought that was kind of the cart before the horse idea. People, it's like, want to get to a style. And I think you can't know what your style is going to be beforehand. You can't know who you are beforehand. I think the way to do it is just play, just explore. And keep track of the things that lit you up and do more of that. Keep track of the things that slowed you down, that you didn't like, that weren't the right thing for you, and do less of that. And then later on, let people talk about what style you had. Let other people do that. Don't worry about what style you had. Don't worry about who you are. Just pay attention to what lights you up. Marianne Williamson, you know, has this incredible quote. Thank God for her. She has this incredible quote where she says, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what lights you up, you know, or lights you on fire or some version of that because what the world needs are people who have been lit on fire. Boom, mic drop, so powerful, so beautiful. Forget about trying to answer the questions of who you are as if it was everything that could be defined by A plus B equals C. This is the important thing, too, about the X, you know, that we've been talking about, is this is why we gotta leave room for it. I'm not saying as a charity leave room for it. I'm not saying as an act of good deed leave room for it. I'm saying it's just the truth. The truth is that you have an ex. The truth is that you are unknown. That's just the truth. So if we want to be in respect of the truth, if we want to be in respect of who we actually are, you're going to have to have a relationship with the ex. Two more things. One is curiosity. This is my definition of curiosity. Curiosity is two things. It's I don't know plus I can know. And I think as simple as that is, it's a kind of profound little nugget there. And uh, to be able to walk into a situation and say, I don't know, is, is not common. It actually requires a lot of vulnerability and vulnerability that is not often, you know, given because we're afraid, because we want the validation, because we're afraid of the unknown, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the first step of curiosity is to be able to look at the thing that you think you know and say, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Powerful. I could go pretty deep into that, but this is running long. So just... Please continue exploring that on your own <laughs> if you if you feel resonant with it. Second part is, but I can know. You give yourself the permission to say, I, I don't know, but you can be happy about that as if you're about to eat a delicious meal. It's like, ooh, this looks amazing. I don't know how it tastes, but I'm gonna try it. Versus like, I don't know how this tastes. That's not like, I, I don't know that I'm talking about. <laughs> so curiosity is, I don't know, plus I can know. And you, you merge those two things together. I don't know, but I can know. Gonna lead you to adventure, gonna lead you to growth, gonna lead you to power, gonna lead you to joy, gonna lead you to connection, gonna lead you to so many beautiful things that belong to you. Your destiny, your beautiful, beautiful, rich, powerful, irreplaceable destiny will be found practicing curiosity, will be found practicing I don't know plus I can know. You give yourself those two things. And if that was all you were to focus on, literally for this entire year, I swear to God, 2020 would be the most powerful, brilliant, mind-blowing year of your entire life. If you just practice those two things, I don't know. Plus I can know. All right, last thing I'm going to close all this off with, one of my favorite stories from one of my favorite humans, Rasuli, who I'm doing the podcast with, by the way, he's probably my best friend. And he is seven, I don't even know what he is, but he's he's up there in wisdom and power and gray hairness and uh, lovability and beautiful voiceness and um, specialness to my heart, that's for sure. Anyways, he's full of amazing stories. And this is one of them. I'm gonna close off this whole thing with this story, okay? Rasuli is, is a Sufi. You know, at least he comes from Sufi mysticism. And he has this beautiful story where, you know, he got inspired to become a Sufi mystic from his uncle in Iran a long time ago. And he would go to these Sufi circles where they would read Rumi, the incredible poet Rumi, who's probably one of my favorite humans ever. I resonate so deeply with his work. And so did my friend Rasuli. And they would sit around in these circles and the eldest would, you know, read Rumi. And they would read this beautiful passage from Rumi, who's an incredible poet. And then once he was finished reading this Rumi passage, this Rumi poem, he would close the book. And then from the eldest down to the youngest, first the eldest would say, I do not understand. And then the next eldest you know, would say, "Like I do not understand. And they'd go all around the circle from the eldest to the youngest, all the way till it got to little Rasuli, who <laughs> I can only imagine must have been the most frickin' adorable child ever. Oh god, I've never even thought of him as a child. How incredible! So gets down to him, and he doesn't know what to do. You know, he just copies everybody else, and he goes, "I do not understand," you know. And then the the, the time ends, and then they walk off, and on the walk back to his house, little Rasuli asks his uncle, "Uncle, I, I I don't understand. You guys have been studying Rumi your entire life for so long. Uh, how come you still say I don't understand?" And his uncle looks at him and says, "There are different levels of not understanding Rumi." there are different levels of not understanding Rumi. So profound, so powerful, and I think it's so beautiful, even at later, deeper stages of knowledge, of depth, of exploration of a topic, that you can still come up and say, I do not understand, I do not know. I am leaving room for the X. I am leaving room to be surprised. I'm leaving room for life to blow me away. I am leaving room for God to open up a vision in my mind of a kind of a life that I never even dreamed possible. I'm I'm opening up myself to receive from the universe something to invent, something to create, some way to shift my work or my energy or, or my books or my paintings or my words that no human in the history of all humans has ever seen, has ever dared to imagine. And I'm telling you, all of the greatest things humans ever do come from that such a beautiful thing. All right, you guys, you have a beautiful day. I have a lot of love for you. Thank you so much for sharing these moments with me. I will see you tomorrow for day five of Practical Forms of Self-Love. Forms of Self Love with Jesh D. Rocks is produced by Jesh D. Rocks and edited by Elizabeth Wyndham. Our theme music is by Kai Kai, it's called Celeste, from the album Fantasize. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you know someone who would appreciate this miniseries, we encourage you to share it, screenshot it, and airdrop it to your friends, family, and general community. You can find Jesh at Jesh DRocks on Instagram and Facebook.